0: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you.
1: Food and travel. They go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at CharityBuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to feast Portland. Or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate Bourbon and Beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now.
2: Hello, and welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson, and this is the show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. Today's guest is Eric Hemelfarb. Hemelfarb. (laughs) Sorry, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Manager of food sourcing, procurement, and logistics at City Harvest, a food rescue organization here in New York City. City Harvest will rescue 59 million pounds of food this year and deliver it to hundreds of community food programs around New York City. He has also worked as an adjunct professor in the NYU Food Studies Department, where he teaches food and the arts, the poetic voice. He received his M.A. in Food Studies from NYU and currently resides in Brooklyn. Eric, welcome to Hungry Society.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
2: And we have to give a special shout out to your colleague, Max.
0: Max Hoffman is in the house as well. Yes.
2: Hello, everybody. You have to come a little closer. Sorry. Hello.
0: (laughs) It's great to be here. I'm very excited to be here chatting with you and... It's cool to watch people having lunch here as well, right. here at so, Roberta's.
2: Right, <laughs> here in the studio, we are looking directly out onto the dining room of Roberta's, so uh, we have a captive audience. <laughs> so this show I'm really excited about. This is a little different for a Hungry Society because we talk a lot about dining and going out to restaurants and... City Harvest does some really important, important work um, when it comes to food insecurity in New York City. And that term, uh, food insecure, can you kind of explain that a little bit for listeners?
0: Sure. So, the official definition of food insecurity is the lack of access at times to enough nutritionally adequate food for an active, healthy life for all members of a household. To put it more simply, um, this means that instead of asking... Or a, a family that is food insecure, instead of asking at um, what is it that we're going to have for dinner tonight, they may be asking themselves at some time during the year, will we have dinner? Mm. Will we have enough money to cover our food needs? Um, so that's kind of... That's that's what a family would be facing. That is food insecure.
2: And I was looking at facts for that, and it's uh, one point three million yes, so New Yorkers. Nearly
0: one point three million New Yorkers face food insecurity this year. About one in five children also uh, mm. face food insecurity. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just under fifteen percent of the of the New York City population. And just for some perspective. The entire city of Dallas has about 1.3 million people. Wow. So it's it's a very large scale uh, of need in New York City. Yeah.
2: And your work at City Harvest and the organization in general helps to mm-hmm. address that. Can you talk a little yes. bit about what the organization does?
0: Sure. So it's it's our mission to end hunger in communities around New York City through food rescue and distribution, through education, and through other uh, practical and innovative solutions. Uh, the, the main thing we're doing is we're rescuing food that would otherwise go to waste. This year, it's 59 million pounds, as you said, um, and it's it's um, being delivered free of charge to about 500 community food pro- programs around the city, that then feed uh, folk, folks who are who are who are looking for food, folks who may be food insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's that rescued food that then goes to the agencies that then feeds hungry New Yorkers
2: and then your role in particular you work in procurement yes and the 500 different organizations in New York that's a lot of logistics
0: (laughs) exactly and so Max and I both work on the food procurement team Um, and there's actually two sides to food food sourcing broadly speaking at City Harvest on one side we have a team that works only with donors who are local in New York City And I should point out that all the food we get is being delivered within the five boroughs. Um, So there's one team that works with donors who are donating food in the five boroughs. Max and I are on the team that works um, to steward and solicit donations outside the five boroughs of New York City and bring that food uh, typically into our warehouse in Long Island City to then get allocated out to those 500 community food programs around the city.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Um, How did you come to City Harvest?
0: So I was I, I grew up in New York City, um, so I, I was very familiar with the uh, those the trucks and the and the green logo, and and it's kind of a New York City institution at this point. Um, but I was actually in I was in grad school at NYU uh, studying food studies, and I knew I wanted to get into nonprofit anti-hunger work. Um, and I actually started at City Harvest in fundraising and. Once I got into fundraising, the more I learned about what City Harvest was doing, I, I, I eventually wanted to make the switch over to food sourcing to be a little bit closer to the to the core of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you know, a couple of years before even getting to City Harvest, I kind of had my eye on them and wanted to be in that in that world, um, if, you know, f- fighting hunger, helping with food insecurity, food justice. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always kind of my goal.
2: Yeah, all those things are really interconnected yes um food justice food insecurities um in your work the the families that you work with can you talk a little bit about like the challenges that yeah. you see them face
0: sure um so there is so there's a perception i think that folks who are hungry are 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 homeless or unemployed and certainly folks who are homeless or unemployed may be facing hunger likely are facing hunger um but um, many of the people we serve are also working families, bringing in a paycheck, but not making quite enough money to cover all their costs. You know, the, the cost of living in New York City is pretty high. There are a lot of fixed costs: healthcare, childcare, childcare rent, transportation. Food often comes at the end of that and is a little more. Uh, there's more, maybe some room to cut and room to trim. Um, and and so, folks who are food insecure may be. You know, maybe forced to make trade-offs. Parents may cut back on the food they're eating so that their kids can eat. Um, so the, the, these are questions and trade-offs that folks are making every day, um, living in this pretty expensive city.
2: Yeah, we were talking a little earlier, um, like before the show, about New York City is has so many extremes. Like you have um, some of the wealthiest people right. in the country, live in the city or have homes in the city, and then you have uh, families who are struggling working one or two jobs to make ends meet. And so city harvest is like so important because it kind of helps fill in those those gaps that happen.
0: And we're lucky enough to have a great kind of array of, of donors, uh, financial donors within the city, who, who recognize those disparities and want to help, help us address them through food rescue and distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Can you talk about what like an, a typical day at City Harvest looks like for you?
0: So for us and for our entire team, a typical day would involve being on the phone most of the day with potential donors. Um, we're either reaching out, trying to proc- procure loads, or we're getting offers. Um, a lot of what we do is work through the Feeding America network, especially what's what, what Max and I work on. Um, And just to take a step back, City Harvest is one of 200 member food banks in the Feeding America network. Um, And Each big city essentially has its own kind of Feeding America affiliate. Um, And so a lot of what we're doing is is we're on the phone with other Feeding America affiliate food banks who may have excess food to pass along to us. Um, Feeding America also provides us with a way to kind of connect to excess food that manufacturers have uh, across the country. Um, so a lot of what we're doing is working through various channels to procure um, the food we need uh, that our programs need for this week and for this month um, and, and for the for the year.
2: Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the kind of like foods that you that you get in? Like, what are you um, sure. sending to locations all over New York?
0: So it's, it's important to point out, fifty three percent of that fifty nine million pounds that we're bringing in will be produce, will be fresh produce. And that's a big, um, w- it's a big emphasis for us because communities that are food insecure tend to have low access to healthy food, uh, not to mention affordable food. And so it's a, it's a priority of ours to get produce. Um, so what was the question? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the kinds of foods that oh, yeah, you kind of- get in.
0: Um, right. So we're focused on produce and um, I can actually, well, I can talk about the breakdown a little bit. Um, so we're getting you know, we're getting packaged food, we're getting bakery food we're getting um, dairy prepared food, a, s- a small percentage of what we get is meat but we are focused on, on produce mm-hmm. and in some cases it's coming from through produce brokers who are third parties that represent farms that have excess who connect that excess to a food bank like City Harvest. In some cases it's coming from a local donor like Fresh Direct or Blue Apron um, we have a handful of direct farm relationships. Um, there's there's one called America's Grow Row in New Jersey that we've been working with. They're a nonprofit in their own right, and they grow they grow food to to donate to Community Food Bank of New Jersey in addition to City Harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a lot of what we're doing is is um, is actually bringing bringing in produce from those different channels to make up more than you know more than half mm-hmm. of our our pounds.
2: That's so, so important. Uh, what you were talking about the the lack of access to produce in particular, because when we talk about things like food justice or, um, or food deserts, um, a term that people often use, it's not that there isn't anything to eat, it's just the, the quality of things that are available and the access to fresh fruits and vegetables and produce right. that's and available. That's
0: the misconception about the food desert term. I think it's it's misused, it's often misused, especially in New York City, what we see more often, I think, are neighborhoods that have increased access to unhealthy food. If there is healthy food at all, it's probably out of reach financially. But um, there is food, it's just not necessarily the nutritious kind of food that folks are looking for and, and, and need to live, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. Right. Yeah.
2: right.
0: And so a lot of what City Harvest is focused on is bringing that kind of nutrient-dense food into communities that are, are lacking it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, supermarkets have gone out of business. In other cases, there's just a, kind of an abundance of unhealthy food.
2: Yeah. And 59 million pounds of it. <laughs> it's a
0: lot. That's it's a, a lot. lot. And we actually just started a, a new strategic plan this year, a few months ago. Um, and by 2022, we're going to look to deliver 80 million, rescue and deliver 80 million pounds of food mm-hmm. per year. So we're, you know, to meet the need, and the need is still high. Uh, it's actually higher than it was before the recession in 2008. It's gone down in the last couple of years, but it's still higher than it was then. So to meet that need, we do need to increase the pounds we rescue and deliver.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so switching gears a little bit, you also have combined food and poetry. Um, it, actually, on this network before you've been on, and you read this... Um, this like epic poem that's 20 yeah. pages long called Harvest.
0: Right. An epic in the true sense of the term, meaning a long poem, not the <laughs> right. way the way the kids are using it.
2: Right. That not word at least. Not epic, yeah. extreme, no, exclamation point. No, it was yeah. a long poem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about how you combined food and poetry?
0: So this was, this was a kind of a, always a personal passion of mine. I've been interested in poetry for my entire life. I was an English major in undergrad. I was really interested in poetry and literature before I ever had kind of opened up my eyes to the food world. And once I got interested in food, I wanted to find a way to somehow have those two passions intersect. Um, and so the, you know, the writing of my master's thesis at NYU gave me the opportunity to finally bring, the, bring my two passions together. So food justice, food issues, and poetry. Mm-hmm. And I used that opportunity to, to write a very long poem about the food system and my experience in it to that point. Um, And after that, I was lucky enough to be able, or I I pitched a class to NYU to the same department I had gotten my master's in and was lucky enough to have the opportunity to write a syllabus, create a class, teach that class, and sort of bring that intersection of passions to life.
2: Why do you think uh, poetry is well-suited to talk about these things?
0: So I think um, there's a lot. Well, I could I could pro- I could talk to you for an entire semester about that. <laughs> right. Um, but
2: yeah, distill an entire course <laughs> into once. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting to point out is the, this connection of food and poetry. I thought I had stumbled on something entirely new. It's actually a really old connection. You can go back to. There's an ancient Greek poet named Hesiod who was writing about... He basically wrote an epic poem that was a farmer's manual mm. in 700 BC. So this is this is not a new connection. It's just something that... M- my sense is that it's that connection has been lost a little bit. And I think um, basically the class looks to raise awareness about food issues through poetry because I think, at least I have a sense that there's something something unique about poetry in the way that it can help people make connections and and become aware of issues. And, you know, in a food Mm -hmm. system predicated on fragmentation in a lot of cases and disconnection, poetry's poetry's core function is to connect through metaphor, through simile. And so it's uniquely suited to addressing some of the issues I think we see in food. Um, A lot of eaters are disconnected from the effects of their food choices. They're disconnected from the way farm workers are treated, the way restaurant workers are treated, there's a certain disconnect there, dif- certain fragmentation, and poetry can, I think, sort of illuminate and create connections that people didn't see before.
2: Mm. I really like that. Like um, y- you use the term of the food world is fragmented at times, and that's like the perfect way to say it because it does feel. Um, like it does feel like these different moving parts but it's all one big system that we're all a part of
0: exactly and think about the fragmentation in the in the dining scene i mean you have some really high class expensive restaurants in new york city at the same time you have 1.3 million hungry new yorkers right, right. think about the people working in the kitchens at those restaurants they there, there's a certain disconnect across the board mm-hmm. um, and my sense was that poetry was uniquely suited to raising awareness about those issues. And the more I read about it, the more I discovered that I'm far from the first person to want to explore that connection. And it goes, it goes back to you know, biblical prophets. It goes back to Greek poets. It goes back to the ancient Mayans. They, in their book of creation, they, it's a basically a long poem about the importance of, of, of corn to their mm-hmm. identity. Um, and so the class looks at across culture, across era, um, at that connection.
2: Mm-hmm. So you actually prepared a poem for today. Can I, you can you read it for us?
0: Sure. I just happen to have a poem with me. I kind of have it here <laughs> by accident, but I'm going to read it for you. Okay. Is this the first time a poem has been read on your it show? It
2: is. It is the first time we've had a poem read.
0: Well, so I'm, you. <laughs> I'm honored then. I'm groundbreaking.
2: groundbreaking. I know
0: Ma- Max has heard some poetry too, so and I was excited you have for a po- this. You have a poem as well? <laughs> no, I've just heard. He's heard some of them.
2: Okay. (laughs) And what's the title of this So this is
0: called A Poetry Field Manual. And this is kind of about, there's a certain thread that I like to follow about the way that a farm or a garden or food can be used kind of as a poetic muse. Mm. And so that's where this comes from. A Poetry Field Manual. Should you find yourself adrift, find your way to the farm that used to be a printing press? where the soil is contaminated, but you elevate the beds above it, high enough to allow the roots to clutch, where you watch the fog clear over the bay in the late morning, where the hills rise to the east, where in the post-meridian light, you drop to your knees in awe of the beans wrapped around the corn and the renewal of the compost, the potential for life you held in your hands when you held the seed all those weeks before, in a time that felt like prologue, where you begin to release control, where you allow yourself to reach your hand out to something larger and wider that animates you as it animates the land beneath you. Should you find yourself adrift in the post-meridian light, be like the sunflower at the edge of the field, near the greenhouse where you started your day while the others slept, and at some imperceptible flash of a moment between the fruit trees and the basil and the seeds of 10,000 years, a new stanza took shape.
2: Wow, that was gorgeous. Thank you. That was amazing.
0: That's a new poem. First time it's been shared.
2: Wow! There we go. So there you go. Wow! Thank shared you so with the, much. The two of
0: you, and I guess the many listeners.
2: Yes, the many yeah. hungry society listeners. Hung- yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Eric Himmelfarb of City Harpist. All right, so we're back with more Hungry Society with Eric Himmelfarb of City Harvest. So the second half of the show, I love to talk to my guests about the role that dining has played in their lives. And you said that you grew up in New York, in Brooklyn. What Uh, part of Brooklyn? Well,
0: Manhattan. Oh, Manhattan. And then I actually moved out to Tenafly, New Jersey.
2: Tenafly, yes.
0: Just over the George Washington Bridge.
2: Which is, um, you said, a little bit north of Fort Lee. Yeah, it's
0: along the Hudson River, Mm -hmm. kind of even with where Yonkers is
2: did you and your family have any dining traditions growing up
0: we really didn't have a whole lot we we ate together a lot we ate out a lot but I was it's funny I was I was thinking I've been thinking about this recently I don't have a lot of real dining traditions from my family at least from growing up um, but one thing one thing that came to mind like a very clear vivid dining memory of growing up so I was on the basketball team in high school and I just have this, this sort of vivid memory of coming home around 9 p.m. after games, going to a great restaurant in Tenafly called Tenafly Pizzeria, taking out some chicken parmesan and pasta and just eating, eating at home after that, uh, after the game.
2: The whole thing? Like just both? our
0: family, my family would just kind of, yeah, that, that's sort of this vivid memory I have of, you know, being exhausted after a game, going to Tenafly Pizza. Uh, we called it the TPR. I'm sure it's, I'm sure I haven't <laughs> been there in a while, but um, yeah, that's a vivid memory for me.
2: I thought you were saying that just you would go by yourself. Oh no, and eat no, all of that <laughs> by yourself. No, Which, my, no judgment right. here. Yeah, that would be cooler. I think.
0: Yeah, <laughs> especially after a game, I probably could have.
2: Right, right. No, but this
0: was something my my parents and I did together. We would take food out from Tenderfly Pizza and kind of you know eat it back at home. Um, and, you know, after feeling good about the game and, you know.
2: Were there any other um, Tenafly restaurants that you would frequent or just the pizzeria?
0: That's really the only one that stands out. I don't think it's really known as a dining town.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunately. true. That's true.
0: I could be wrong about that by now, but it's been a long time since I lived there. But
2: I mean, Fort Lee has some good restaurants. And uh, as, as, when you go along the river, there's like a bunch of different like little... Malls and restaurants taking advantage of the view certainly, of like the yeah. skyline and stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, but no, I think my my main childhood memory is definitely Tannenfly Pizza. <laughs> definitely.
2: So, as you got older, yeah. did you start going out to eat more?
0: Def well, definitely. Um, certainly when I when I went to college, um, and then after college when I moved back into New York City, and also like I wasn't I wasn't very aware of food issues until I got out of college. So I, I don't know, I wasn't very mindful about what I was eating, although I should point out that my parents always had whole wheat bread in the house. My my parents would always give me carrots and peppers and as a snack, like th- there was a certain healthy...
2: So they uh, were mindful eat- about what you were snacking on? I and- think
0: they were, yeah, but I'm sort of ashamed to say it, but there were definitely times we went to McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King and that's, I would never go there now, but... We did go there.
2: I mean, I feel like for a lot of families and a lot of times when I have my guests on, they're like, you know, that was a treat was was. getting to go to McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King. So no shame there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah. We didn't, we didn't, didn't cook a whole lot. Um, when I was growing up, but we definitely, we would eat together. That was always important, eating together. Mm -hmm. But it might've been, might've brought in prepared food or ordered in.
2: Do you have a favorite restaurant at the moment?
0: That's a good, um, good question. I just went to Noor, an Israeli place on the uh, east side. Have you heard of that? I have, yeah. Yeah, excellent. We went there for my dad's birthday. It was mm-hmm. phenomenal.
2: Is there anything you can recommend? I haven't been there yet.
0: Well, the kubane, the challah, the mm-hmm. they've got to get a lot of bread. Um, lot so bread. I would recommend getting at least two different breads there. Okay. Yeah.
2: And does it come with anything, or is it just the, the bread?
0: No, it's just the bread, and it's excellent.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, so we talked about kind of the best experience you've had lately. Can you talk about one of the worst dining experiences you've ever had? So And I, you don't have to name the place, I don't want to name
0: names. I, I'd rather not name names. But, well, so actually, since I've started at City Harvest, I've been a lot more aware of food safety issues because mm-hmm. we're, we're very, you know, we're very cognizant of food safety. Anytime we get a call, we're always asking a kind of checklist of questions about whether the food's been stored properly. So now I'm very, I'm very aware of this when I go out to eat, and unfortunately, I'm not always happy with what I'm seeing. <laughs> a couple of things come to mind. So, uh, I went to a sushi restaurant with my now wife when we were first dating, um, and it was just it was really hot in there. It, there were flies mm. and there was a guy behind the sushi counter clipping his nails.
2: Oh, that is so So, you know, like, gross. Oh so my you, God.
0: I, I didn't feel great about that.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's that was really a few fair. years ago.
0: There was one much more, it was more, more recent. I was up, actually upstate at a diner with some friends and we ordered like this ice cream sundae on top of a Belgian waffle. This really decadent, crazy dessert and It just so happened that the kitchen door swung open and right when it swung open, it's like this veil was lifted and we saw the chef in the back kind of like holding the waffle almost like a, like a Frisbee or something, (laughs) like just kind of holding it in his hand. And it made me not, I couldn't eat the waffle after
2: that. Yeah, that's for the best. (laughs) I, did you, I hope you didn't eat any sushi at that place. Please tell me you left.
0: (laughs) I I think we actually ate the sushi. Oh
2: no. His face looks like he is. Yeah, he is. yeah.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm still, I still regret it, but I think we did. Because I think it was a place that my, my wife had been to before she wanted to take me there, would like share her like East Village sushi. Spot. Pathway with me. Mm. But it wasn't the same.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no. And
0: she, she kind of gets upset. She feels like I'm very critical now of food safety. Almost too critical. And so it's like it takes some of the enjoyment out. she has a point.
2: Well, I mean, that's, that's fair. That's not like overly critical if like the chef is cutting their nails. But now,
0: you know, even at home, I'm like, (laughs) I'm very careful not to let the food get into that danger zone if it's been left out too long. You know, (laughs) she thinks I'm a little crazy about it, but look, I'm just trying to keep us safe.
2: Right. (laughs) Speaking of home, do you have any dining traditions now?
0: So my wife's actually been, she's been working a lot on her cooking skills. And so we she leads the way, and then I kind of help out. And we do we do cook a lot more now, and we've been that's something we've been consciously working on. And, um, she's you know great at kind of scouring the internet for interesting recipes, a lot of times vegan recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, since we moved in together th- about three years ago, we've been cooking more and more um, at home together. Yeah.
2: So you live in Brooklyn. You yes. you went to school in New York. Uh, I feel like you've seen kind of the the food scene change over, over like let's say a little less than a decade or so. Um, what do you make of today's like dining culture, or in New York City the dining culture that you've seen?
0: Well, I think I, I mean, I I definitely come at this question from a City Harvest perspective, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm thinking about so we have a food council made up of a number of chefs and restaurateurs and. I guess what I see in the dining culture is a, is an awareness of an an awareness beyond the dining room an awareness of who's in the kitchen, who's growing the food, who's picking it, who's processing it. Um, and of course, you know, chefs are in the business of feeding people and so is city harvest. And, um, so what I've seen certainly working at city harvest is how, how eager the restaurant community is to help with what we're doing and to be big advocates, to be food donors, to be help raise awareness. Um, so for me, that's, that's, that's huge. And another thing I was thinking about actually was the whole meal kit phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's not restaurant related, but it is dining related. And a lot more people are, are getting involved in the meal kits. You're seeing a lot of businesses kind of pop up to, to cater to that. And that, you know, presents an opportunity for city harvest in terms of cultivating new donors, new sources of of food, food donations, Mm -hmm. um, so for us, it's, it's a positive because we have a whole new set of donors we didn't have maybe five years ago. Uh, and it speaks to the way the food system and kind of the food market is, marketplace is changing in New York City.
2: Mm-hmm. What's interesting is uh, you, you kind of touched on the cooking aspect of thing, things and meal kits. I think as we've seen people become more and more interested in the food, it's not necessarily just interest in um, a restaurant. Or you know, a chef, it's interest in cooking, cooking at home like your wife who wants to try different stuff. Um, and, and people wanting to order meal kits and, and try something they've never had before. And food markets, like um, the farmers' market in Union Square is huge and massive, and there are all these farmers' markets like popping up all over the country because people are interested in food beyond just sitting down at a table.
0: And I think the meal kit trend speaks to something deeply ingrained in us. It's the I think I mean, when we cook we, we cook for many of the same reasons, you know, same reasons we kind of go camping or go hiking. There's like a certain element of getting in touch with what it means to be human and getting back to our like primal instincts a little bit. So I kind of I think the meal kit trend is a good one because it's allowing people to inch their way back towards Kind of what it means to be means to be human mm. to be in touch with those natural processes
2: mm-hmm. those connections like what you were talking exactly. about with the poetry thing exactly yeah yeah and being part of that system yeah awesome well, my last question for you um, if you could have your last meal in a restaurant, where would it be and who was invited?
0: so this is a great question I love this <laughs> question where would where is tough? I think honestly just. An unnamed small restaurant in a side on a side street in Rome. I think just like it doesn't even matter where, just I wanna be there. It's such a great food city. You can't have a bad meal there. So I'll just place us in a on a side street in Rome. In terms of who's there, so my wife's gotta be there. My parents. Um
2: and it can be anyone living or dead. You don't have to know them already. Anyone who who knows me.
0: Anyone who knows me knows at least one person I'm going to name. I think Max could probably even guess it. Who is it? It's
2: Bob Dylan.
0: Yes, there you go. Bob Dylan? Yeah. So he's there. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> he's there. You know, I, I, I would love to talk to a bunch of poets throughout. So Allen Ginsberg, John Keats, Walt Whitman, I want them there. It'd be an interesting discussion. Um, Barack Obama, a hero of mine, and Michelle Obama, um... I feel like that's a pretty good group right there. That's
2: a good group, My yeah. parents,
0: my wife, the Obamas, got some <laughs> poets, Bob Dylan. He's a poet in his own right.
2: He is. Uh, um, what are you eating?
0: I think we're just eating, you know, really good really good pasta. Good salad and pasta and drinking some good Italian wine. Yeah, that was going to be just my next simple, question. Just a simple Italian low-key meal. But I want a good discussion. I want a good... yeah good debate
2: a good debate good discussion yeah. and then you'll walk out of the restaurant <laughs> and just
0: and hopefully continue the discussion i don't <laughs> want to say goodbye at that point like all right i've been waiting long enough to meet all those people
2: <laughs> well it could go until like five in the morning and that the, ideally know,
0: it would yeah. there you go it would
2: and then and then you're out of there right <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know what i love that though i love imagining that that'd be a great meal that'd mm-hmm. be like the perfect meal for me
2: maybe i just had an idea maybe yeah. that's your next poem <laughs> what is that meal like with all those people?
0: Right, like philosophically, how do those poets differ? Mm -hmm. Um, What would they
2: talk about? Would there be a fight? Maybe. No. i Maybe not. I'm just just like spitballing (laughs) here. Okay, how can listeners get involved in City Harvest? How can they contribute?
0: Broadly speaking, there's three ways. So you can donate food, donate funds, or volunteer. Um, And there's two campaigns we're running right now kind of leading into the summer when, um, as I mentioned, you know, one in five children are food insecure. If they're not in school, there may be more challenges that their parents face in, in making sure they're all fed if they're not getting food at school. Um, so there are two campaigns I want to mention. Um, one is at the Feed Our Kids Food Drive, which is running from Mother's Day to Father's Day, um, which basically helps provide food for New York City children throughout the summer, um, and we're collecting uh, non-perishable food donations at um, at um, schools, organizations, companies, New York City Fire and police departments. Um, there's more information on our website about that. So that's a great way to donate food to help us out. Uh, in terms of donating funds, we have a campaign coming up called Skip Lunch, Fight Hunger. Um, we're asking New Yorkers to donate the cost of their lunch uh, to help provide food for kids over the summer. Um, the, f- the campaign runs from May 14th to 18th and uh, we're asking folks to basically start fundraising teams to kind of get their friends involved, get their families involved, get their coworkers involved. The fundraising goal is 1.1 million dollars, and we're we're hoping to to kind of hit that goal that week to help us with that summer um, summer food. Um, and it's very easy to start a team if you want to do it at, at your workplace or just with your friends. You can go to our website and learn more about that. Um, so donate food, donate funds, and volunteer. We have plenty of volunteer opportunities. If, if you're a nutrition expert, you can you know, get in touch with us and learn about how to help out with our nutrition education courses. Um, you can volunteer at our mobile markets, distributing produce, um, volunteer in our office. There's, there's lots of ways to kind of get involved. Um, of course, we're, and we're all, always looking just for advocates to kind of talk about what the work we do, raise awareness about food insecurity um, and food rescue. Uh, and you know, City Harvest has always been about neighbors helping neighbors and New Yorkers helping out fellow New Yorkers. So we're all kind of, we're all involved. We're all in this uh, together. Yeah.
2: Awesome. And you're also having City Harvest is having a big 35th anniversary gala soon.
0: Yes. On April 24th, it's our uh, we're having a gala. It's, um, on, it's actually sold out. So we we've, we've done pretty well with the ticket sales. Um, we're um. It's the launch of our 35th anniversary. We actually just turned 35 in December. Um, and the day after our gala, April 25th, you'll be able to see a lot of a big social media campaign around that 35th anniversary and what we've kind of, the impact that City Harvest has had over these last 35 years and where we're going from here. Um, so you'll, you'll, be, you'll be hearing a lot from us about that anniversary and about what's ahead um, right after that gala.
2: Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
2: And Max, thank you for...
0: Hanging around.
2: (laughs) Thank you for hanging out.
0: Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you, Korsha.
2: And I can't wait to have you back again.
0: Yeah, I would love to.
2: And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week on A Hungry Society.